We all have paradigms and roadblocks that prevent us from excelling, and they can be real or imagined. Welcome to Beyond Bricks, a podcast that will give you the ability to break through those walls. Here's Dr. Nathan Unruh. Hello, everyone. Dr. Nathan Unruh here, and I'm super excited to bring a special guest to this conversation. As we all talk about is all the time is that how are we going to really differentiate in our businesses on experiences and not things? And we truly believe that the businesses that are investing in looking at what true customer experience is, how to deliver better customer experience are the ones that are winning. Well, who better to ask than one of the experts in this space and my guest today, Shep Hyken. He is a New York bestseller. He is a customer experience and team engagement expert. He takes these principles and this idea of customer experience and makes it practical and gives us the tactics in order to execute it in our businesses. His most recent book, I'll Be Back, is just a fantastic book. It's like, why would people want to come back and do business with you again? So Shep, welcome to this conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for making time. Uh, It's great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. And by the way, uh, you mentioned New York bestseller. It's actually New York Times because I'm in, I'm hopefully selling books in California too. (laughs) In other parts of the world, other parts of the world. But but it's great to be here. There's so much that we can talk about. We could spend hours and hours, but I know we have a short period of time. So where do you want to start first? Well, tell me what you're seeing right now in the world of customer experience. What's going on in the marketplace right now? Oh, man, there's some great stats and facts. Let me go ahead and share these. Somewhere around here, I have my glasses, um, and I've set them down. And, of course, when you set down, you can't find them. But let me share with you some really powerful stats. 83% of customers are going to switch because of bad customer service. Now, we studied more than 1,000 consumers waited to the U.S., census of, of age, ethnicity, gender, geography. Uh, so we, we took a really good cross-section and we asked everybody, hey, you know, what's important to you in service and what's not? 79% of Americans trust a brand more if they deliver excellent customer service. By the way, I don't care what business you're in. You could be a chiropractor. You could sell automobiles. You could, you know, sell advertising. You could be a consultant. It doesn't matter. These stats, even if they don't apply specifically to your industry, they apply to the the general concept applies. Now, here's some really important things to know is that 75% of the people we surveyed were more likely to be loyal to a company that offered a personalized solution. Personalization is a great differentiator. If you can find a way to know who your customers are, clients, patients, guests, whatever you wanna call them. If you walk in and I know you by name, I can look at your record, look at your chart, pull up your information on a CRM and be able to say, hey, the last time you called, you mentioned you were going on a trip to Hawaii. Uh, for your anniversary. How was that? I mean, you're personalizing the experience. Um, In my latest book, I'll Be Back, I have a uh, chapter in there called The Cheers Effect. Now, there are some people who have no idea what the TV show Cheers is, but it was in the 1980s, and there's lots of reruns on these, uh, you know, cable channels. But the the theme song is Everybody Knows Your Name, basically. Everybody wants to go to a place where everybody knows your name. And the reason people love going to the bar, cheers, was because Sam and anybody else that worked there, they knew their customers by name. They knew their their kids, their parents, everything. So 
pretty important. Uh, other important stats. This is really great. 52% of Americans will pay more if they know they're going to receive great service. Now, in a little while, if you want to talk about the idea of convenience, if you offer convenience service, they pay even more than just for good service. And while this doesn't apply to every business, if there's a way to deliver something to a customer, um, you know, uh, think about, you know, we used to order food. And I remember a few years ago, I go to my favorite Chinese restaurant, they would order it for free. Today, there's like an $8 charge. I have no problem paying for it. 90 plus percent of customers are willing to pay more if the convenience is about delivery. Anyway, so I think as you look at these stats and facts, service and experience become really important in your business model. Just offering whatever it is that you sell is no longer good enough. That makes you a commodity. You have to differentiate, be better, thereby be more successful. Okay, great. I love the statistics. So I'm going to pull apart a couple of words you said, because I think that this is a big area that people get confused. There's a difference between customer service yes. and customer experience. Correct. Nobody wants to sit on a customer service phone call or stand in the customer service line because there's a problem. So that's really downstream. What you always talk about is how do we move upstream really and perform a great experience? So talk to so, me about that, the difference. Well, okay, number one, I believe that customer service is not a department. It's a philosophy and it needs mm -hmm. to be ingrained and entrenched in the culture. Same thing with experience, it needs to be tied in. People say that customer service is what's needed when customer experience fails. And that means you're putting service back into a department where there's a line for people to stand in or a phone call they have to make or they have to reach out to the company somehow, some way to get a problem resolved. And by the way, every company, every organization needs to have somebody or some department managing that. I prefer not to call it customer service. You can call it support. Frankly, I call it customer retention, revenue enhancement, because if you do it right, you not only save the customer, but if you do it right, you give them a confidence to want to come back the next time. And ideally, they become loyal when they know that even when there's a problem, they can count on you. But let's talk about what it's more of a history lesson than anything. Customer service was what we knew it as years and years ago, take care of the customer. And I believe I started saying things like, well, let's sell with service, give them an experience that makes them feel like you care about them, answers their questions, gets them what they need. You follow up properly, you show up on time for appointments, you don't make customers wait. All that was part of service. Some people say that crosses into experience. Well, one day some really, uh, I guess, pretty smart dude said, hey, uh, let's not call it customer service anymore. Let's call it customer experience. Ooh, a new word for customer service or service experience, right? And then somebody said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think experience is much bigger than just service. So that's when it started to become virtually any interaction that a customer has with a company at any level, whether you're calling to make an appointment, what you're calling for a problem, whether you're, uh, if you're on Amazon and uh, you have, uh, and, and, and you know they send you an email, that's part of the experience. If you go to the Apple store and they mail you your iPhone or they give you your iPhone and you walk out with this box, as you open it, you go, wow, this is really cool packaging. That's part of experience. So service is a big part of experience but experience is much broader and covers every interaction. Now, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> but, but, but you know what? That's how we need to dive in and pull that apart because yep. that's really the differentiator. 
So, Chef, I've taken um, three different companies that I'm involved in, my own companies, mm-hmm. through your training. It's been awesome for opening our eyes to areas where we were missing it. But some of the, the one thing that came round and round throughout going through the training is that a true customer experience that people remember is an experience that's consistently above average. Yep. So this Talk is to my me about foundation. that for a minute. Yep. yep. This is foundational material. This has shown up uh, in some form or fashion and it continues to grow and get, you know, better as I say it over and over again and, and write about it over the years. It's been in every book. So let's go back to this concept of um, creating customer amazement. Amazement is not about over the top. Amazement is about a predictable experience that's even just a tiny bit better than average. And if you're all you are is mediocre or average, people don't talk about you and they eventually leave when they find something a little bit better. But if you're a tiny bit better than average, and in a moment, I'll tell you exactly how much better than average you have to be. Um, People say, you know, I love doing business with them. Why? Well, they always call me back pretty quickly. You know, what's quickly? In other words, we don't wait three days. We might call them back in a few hours and they'll go, wow, thanks for calling me back the same day. A lot of people don't even expect to be called back the same day. It's a surprise when they do something that simple. So the word always followed by something positive. They're always helpful. They're always knowledgeable. They always get back to me quickly. They always uh, seem to be friendly. Even when there's a problem, I know it can always count on them. It's the predictable and consistent experience that is something that makes people happy. It doesn't have to be over the top. Now, if you've got a problem and it falls in your lap or there's an emergency and you're able to take care of the customer, that's over the top. But you cannot wait for those metaphorical rainy days to happen. They consistently, day in and day out, you've got to put on a performance that the customer says what I just mentioned, you know, always followed by something positive. So I have had the great honor of getting to know a little bit a gentleman named Horst Schultz, who is the first president and co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton organization, perhaps one of the most iconic hotel brands in the world, recognized for great service, great experience. And I asked him, because he had the same philosophy, Shep, just be a little bit better than average all of the time. I go, well, well, Horst, how much better than average do you think people need to be? He said, not much better, 10% better. Now think about what 10% is. On a scale of one to five, where one is bad and five is great or amazing, three is average. You've got to be a (laughs) 3.3. And if you are a 3.3 or better, most of the time on your ratings, you're going to get a five because you never slip into mediocrity. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have a problem or a complaint. That happens. And if you don't resolve it properly, you're going to get a one. Okay. But Given the opportunity to fix a problem, you not only fix it, you restore the customer's confidence. And back to what I said earlier, even when there's a problem, I can always count on them to take care of me. So you're back into that consistent and predictable experience. Nobody is perfect. I don't think anybody expects a company to be perfect. We love doing business with companies like Amazon, but every once in a while, the package doesn't show up or it shows up damaged. And it's so easy to get that situation fixed Uh, Just the other day, I bought my wife a nice, I thought it was a really nice birthday gift. One of those uh, really expensive massagers that just pounds on you, right? And we went in, we charged it, nothing. There was nothing. So literally it took two emails back and forth. And within two days, I had another one. And you know what? They didn't even care. When I told them what was wrong, they said, we had a batch. 
that was a problem with the electronics. I guess basically they want me to throw it away because they did not ask for me to even send it back. Pretty cool. We bought a refrigerator through Amazon and it came damaged. And they said, donate it, put it on the street corner for trash to take it away. We're sending you your new one right away. And you know, when, when you deal with companies that are that easy, they set the bar for everyone else. That said, those are emergency or, or just problem situations. They restore confidence, but day in and day out, predictably, you've got to create that above average experience. So I want to go a step further and talk about another concept that's foundational that ties into that, if this is okay with you. Absolutely. Great. And it's about managing what's called the moment of truth. So once we've established, we know what amazement is. Pretty simple idea. Now we've got to come up with a way to make it happen. And the way to make it happen is to break down everything you do into tiny little interactions. And the way to look at it this way is by the definition that Jan Carlson long, long, long time ago came up with this idea. And back then it was, it was very timely for him to come up with this idea, but it turned out to be a timeless idea. And that is to manage the moment of truth, which he defines as anytime a customer comes into contact with any aspect of a business, they form an impression. And that impression he said could be good or bad. And Jan Carlson ran an airline, Scandinavian Airlines. It was losing millions of dollars when he took it over. And he fixed it with this idea of managing the moment of truth. He got every one of his employees. He went into every city that had a presence and they went into airplane hangars and he had hundreds of employees in front of him. He said, let's just manage the interaction. You know, a passenger calls to make a reservation on the day of departure. They check their bags at the curb. This is before the internet. You go in uh, and, and check in at the ticket counter. And all of these little interactions are what really drives the customer's opinion of what the experience is. You know, I go into the doctor's office. I, I, I had to make an appointment. Maybe I did it online. Maybe I, I called. Uh, once I'm in the doc's office, there's, you can call it a waiting room. You, you, we don't like using that word. Don't you have another term for waiting room? Reception room. Reception. I knew there was, yeah. So it just elevates it a little bit, right? And, and uh, I have friends of mine who are chiropractors, dentists, and, and doctors. And what they do is they try to make that room as close to the living room as possible. TV, you know, big cushy chairs, you know, that's what a, a powerful experience in a, in a reception area can be. Anyway, uh, so, you know, they, they sit there and that's part of the experience, you know, the, the, the walk back to the room, uh, how it's handled, you know, every interaction that that patient has. So it's the same with any business. If I go to buy a car and I go to get my car serviced, I have to wait in their waiting room. And it really is like a waiting room while I'm waiting there. And sometimes uh, if you go to a, uh, uh, an old, uh, I won't necessarily name the brand, that's not important, but an old dealership that's not forward thinking versus uh, a dealership like a Lexus, where you walk in and their waiting room is just gorgeous because they pride themselves on the experience, which is why they have such a high retention rate of happy customers doing business with them. Anyway, I digress. Manage these moments of truth. They go one of three ways. Jan Carlson said they could be good and bad. They can be bad. They can be good. I call the bad ones moments of misery. The good ones moments of magic. Anything better than average is a moment of magic. And it could be big over, over the top, or it could be just a tiny bit better than average. But there's a third one that's in the middle. It is the moment of mediocrity. And that is average. That's just okay. You know, if uh, somebody says, how is everything? It was fine. What does fine really mean? So <laughs> fine does not mean fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So, okay. So you, you, you mentioned Ritz Carlton and you told me the story one time 
when we were chatting about how they get this information into the DNA of the organization. Yep. Because, I mean, if people are listening to this right now, and I'm sure many of you are taking notes going, hey, I like the moments of truth, moments of magic, moments of mediocrity, moments of misery. You know, what are some different things that we can do? But if we don't make a commitment in our organizations to train this, not once, not twice, not three times, but consistently all the time, yep. that's how we develop what you call an iconic brand. So would you just chat with me just for a moment, just tell the listeners here, what you told about Rich Carlton, what they do with watching a segment every single day. Right. So this is great. And, and when you go through our foundational course, the customer focus, we, a lot of this content is in there and there's an exercise that we have you do that is meant to be done every week. Uh, some of our clients do it every day, but let me tell you what the Ritz does. And I mean, I study these companies and I've been studying them for years, decades. Okay. I know I look much younger than I am, right? <laughs> so don't we all, but uh, the Ritz years ago came up with, uh, I call it their mantra. I believe they actually call it their credo. It's nine words long and everybody should define what their service vision is. And I have a whole six step process to take people through on creating that service culture or that experience culture. But first is to define it. And the Ritz Carlton's is simple. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It's nine words long. So once you come there and you understand that and you're an employee, it's like, okay, now how am I supposed to live with that? What am I supposed to do with that? What they do is they train you to that mantra. Uh, they actually have, and they have more uh, than just these 24, but they have what they call their 24 gold standards. They have some other ideas, depends on what department you're in. You might get trained a little differently, but everybody gets the 24 gold standards. Now here's where it gets fun and interesting. Around the world, no matter where you go, the Ritz-Carlton in St. Louis, Missouri, the Ritz-Carlton in Abu Dhabi over in the Middle East, every day they have shifts and all the employees come together to start their shift. And there's always a team meeting before the shift begins. If you're in the banquets department, if you're in the catering, if you're in the front desk, you're going to have this meeting with your manager and the manager goes over one of the gold standards. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, it is the same gold standard that day. So today, as we do this interview, everybody's getting the same one. Tomorrow, they'll get another one. And then the next day, another one. And they go through this 24 days in a row. And at the end of the 24th day, on day 25, they start over again. And they anticipate or estimate that the average employee at the Ritz-Carlton will hear the message, each gold standard, about 10 times throughout the year because they're, on a, they're not probably working seven days straight in a row. So they'll skip a day and then eventually they'll hear the message again. So that's uh, nothing more than a sustainability program that's so powerful and so important that they believe that every day they'll spend three to five minutes talking about that gold standard. Maybe an example of how they noticed it was being used the day before when they were taking care of one of their guests. Now, the uh, exercise that we have in the customer focus not quite the gold standard exercise, but the idea behind it is the same. There is a redundancy, a pattern. And like I said, many of my clients, they typically like to do it once every week. And you break it up and vary it a little bit, but we call it the moments of magic exercise. And we want people to not just listen to like whatever the gold standard is, if that's what you want to call it. What we want them to do is participate and actually be aware of using 
whatever uh, great service techniques they use. So as simple as, hey, I want you to give me an example in the last week when you created a moment of magic for either a customer or an internal customer, one of your colleagues. Just, you know, and if I ask you to do that, like right away and I go, I'm gonna give you two minutes, you might have like a brain freeze. Oh my God, you know, when was I ever nice to somebody in the last week? <laughs> and that's really what I'm asking you is like, when did you do something nice and friendly? And it could be something as simple as, well, you know, somebody called and I got back to them in 10 minutes. They were so impressed. Um, you know, I was getting ready to leave for the day. The phone rang. I could have let it go to the voicemail, but you know what? I picked it up anyway. It was the right thing to do. So they could be simple things or they could be like, uh, you know, oh my gosh, I'm in such pain. My, you know, I'm going to call the doctor. Hopefully the doctor can get in. And, you know, the doc says, hey, come in tomorrow. I'll look at your back. I'll give you an adjustment. Or, you know, my dentist, for example, he gives his cell phone number out to every patient. And on there's, I've heard the stories on Christmas Eve, he's come in to uh, his office and had the patient meet him so that he can extract a tooth or fix something that's causing a huge amount of pain for somebody. I mean, to me, those are the above and beyonds. Okay. But just simply doing little things are great. So you end up asking people to write down two or three sentences at the most. We're not looking for a novel, just a couple of sentences. And if they do this on a regular basis, they start to become what I call service aware. They become aware of when they're creating great experiences. And by the way, you could uh, you could say, "Hey, give me an example of when uh, you get, gave uh, you were you know, a great experience for somebody. Give me an example of when you turned a moment of misery. Somebody came to you with a problem, not a complaint, but you were helping them. You did something that they didn't expect. Give me an example of when they you did solve a complaint. Give me an example of using a you know." Uh, demonstrating your knowledge of what we do here to uh, impress one of our clients or customers or patients just based on the fact that they had a question, we had the answer. You, there's many different versions of this weekly exercise that you can put in front of your team and ask them to participate in what I call the service awareness exercise. Really, it's a moment, I call it the moment of magic exercise, but that's what it drives is the awareness that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, so what I what I want everybody to hear there and is Shep just went through the components of a great development system. So number one, great content. So great content would say, okay, we got the expert in customer experience and Shep Hiking. We he's got the content for us. Okay, that's step one. We gotta we gotta use that content. Step two is we have to do it with repetition. So as you heard as a Ritz Carlton, 24 times. Right. Then again, they get it 10 times in a year that develops in their DNA. And then step three is the ability to practice and role play. So what you just said is writing that out. How did you service awareness? Brilliant term. I haven't heard that yet before service awareness. So now if you do that enough, you're going to get a pretty solid person who understands the components of providing that above average customer experience. And then the accountability to be able to track, measure, and monitor this information to make sure it's staying with each and every person in your organization. So I, I don't want anybody to miss that because that's what we want to make sure we do. Because too many times we'll read a book, we'll go to a conference, and then we don't back it up with a development system. So it sticks and it becomes part of the DNA of the organization. What are some other examples, Shep, with what you've done and your seven books that you've written, all the core, uh, iconic brands that you've come alongside with and helped become iconic brands over the years? What are some key elements that 
I don't care how big the businesses or how small that they have to do in order to differentiate themselves on this experience. Yeah, idea. so that's great. And by the way, I'd love to think that when Amazon hired me that I was responsible for their growth and their oh, stock you price. You were, you were. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I've been so lucky. I've worked with the Ritz-Carlton. I've worked with uh, Four Seasons. I've worked with major retailers like Target and Walmart and and places like that. Um, so in, in my most recent book, well, actually I talk about it in the most recent book, I'll be back, how to get your customers to come back again and again. I wanna give you a couple I, uh, ideas on differentiation. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest differentiators, and I mentioned it in the stat, be easy to do business with, be convenient. So just before the pandemic, about two and a half years ago, maybe so about a year before the pandemic, I came out with a book titled The Convenience Revolution. It was really a thought leadership book on an idea that if you're more convenient, you're going to win business. And we had stats and facts to back that up, but nobody had ever written about being easy, like, you know, what are the, what, how convenient can you be? So there's six convenience principles, uh, ways. And number one is simply reduce friction, which everybody can figure out a way to make it easier, reduce friction. Uh, then you've got a self-service uh, and I can break these down and give you examples, but self-service is putting control into the customer. You know, I can uh, go online and book an appointment with my doctor, uh, book an appointment to get my automobile taken care of. Uh, I can, uh, and this is using technology in a self-service sense. And, you know, speaking of technology, which is a third uh, convenience principle. You know, if I want to send you money, I can Venmo you, PayPal you. Today, I don't even need to. We get a check in the mail. We take a picture of the check and zip it over to the bank, and I don't have to go to the bank anymore. The bank doesn't recognize me when I walk in, which is a bummer because I like it when they know me. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got uh, just simply reduce friction and think about what Amazon has done to reduce friction. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you notice, there's a little thing behind me. Um, it's uh, I don't want to say her name out loud, but it's Alexis. All right. And she's uh, waiting for me to give her a command. So about, I'm going to say five years ago, Amazon came up with something called the dash. I don't know if you're familiar, remember this. It did okay. It looked like a doorbell and it was a button that you pushed mm -hmm. and it was product specific. So if you in your home used a certain brand of dishwashing detergent and you are running low, this little button was in sync with your Wi-Fi, and all you would do to get more dishwashing detergent would be push a button, okay? And then uh, it, it, the next day, your dishwashing detergent would magically arrive, okay? Pretty cool. And so what Amazon did was pretty smart. They said, okay, you're going to pay $4 for this dash button, and the first time you use it, we're going to give you the $4 back as a credit. Because otherwise, people are collecting dash buttons, I think, is a, is a hobby. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they said, you know, that's pretty convenient. You know, you don't have to turn on the computer anymore. You just touch a button. And they thought, eh, it'd be easier if you just said, hey, and you name, you know, her Alexa. <laughs> and you name her and you go, I need more dishwashing detergent. Now you just say it out loud. You don't have to go over to the button. That's even more convenient. So they're constantly looking at ways to reduce friction. And then of course, self-service and then technology, how are companies using technology? Then you've got subscription. You know, every business is a subscription model. As a matter of fact, I just interviewed an executive at Salesforce that's in charge of the subscription life cycle. I'm not using the correct terminology yet, but I will when I go back and look at my notes. 
And basically said, he said that every business doesn't realize it, but they're in the subscription model, meaning you want people to come back and renew their desire to do business with you. Ideally, you want them to pay on a regular basis. I mean, think about how can, like, how can we take Netflix that is a, you know, monthly subscription and how can we turn that into a subscription for chiropractic services? Uh, believe it or not, Porsche and Cadillac and Audi, they now, you can, in certain markets, not uh, rent a car, lease a car, but subscribe to the brand. So if I'm willing to pay a certain amount of money, I can go onto the lot at Porsche and I can say this week, I want to drive the Cayenne. Next week, I want to drive, you know, the two door turbo convertible. The week after that, I want to buy, you know, so I can choose and it's yours. It's a subscription model. And if we do well, people want to keep subscribing. Anyway, it's convenient for them to not think about it. Just you know, it's taken care of. Uh, so that's just, so that's for it. Number five is delivery, taking it to the customer. If there's a way to actually bring something to the customer. And number six is uh, accessibility. Uh, are you accessible? What are your hours of operation? You know, I, I, I always joke that banks that have quote banker hours, nine to five, right? You know, it's like, okay, if I want to go to the bank and I have a job, when do I go to the bank? I guess they're marketing to the unemployed <laughs> or the retired or something. So. Yeah. Yeah, But anyway, accessibility is hours of operation. It's logistic accessibility. Are you close enough to me that I want to do business with you? Um, you know, Starbucks, if you go to New York, it seems like every block there's a Starbucks. Um, if I want to go uh, to this car dealership and they're that good, am I willing to pass up other car dealerships to go to them? Uh, they still need to be logistically accessible. Walmart, uh, I think 90% of Americans are within 10 minutes of Walmart. That's pretty accessible. Wow. So anyway, wow. those are the six convenience principles. I love it. I love it. So, you know, this is such good stuff. And, and, and everybody to listen, you know, Shep and I are going to do more work together. You know, we're, we're bringing his training content to people to be able to start to incorporate that in their training systems in order to be able to get this to their people. So watch out for how you can get that going and then we'll help guide you through that. I think as, a, as an action I'm coming out of this conversation, I'd encourage you, go get his book. I'll be back, his newest book. It's well, a fantastic you. book. Where'd you get that book? You sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but so here's what I want you to do with these six convenience principles. You want to take yeah. action on something, write down the six and say, hey, which of these six can we do or can we do better at? So I want you to take action on what we've talked about today. Uh, define what your main moments of truth are. Create a journey map where you, you know, say, here's what the typical customer journey is and map out those interaction points and let everybody on your team know who's responsible for each of these. So there's a lot of actionable items that we can get out of our conversation today. Absolutely. Wow. In just 30 minutes, we're, we're just giving them it. a lot to do, but that's, that's important. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking this time, Shep. And again, everybody, take that, do the, follow Shep's advice there. Go write those things down. What can you do? Go read his new, newest book and make sure that you start incorporating these customer experience things that he's teaching us. And then really dive into this. This is how you can differentiate your business. Too many times we want to go chase to the widget or just the competency. I contend it's about the experience and we've got to become masters of the experience. So thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me, everybody. Thanks for listening to this is great. You can find more thoughts on how to move beyond bricks at drnathanunruh.com. 